Today's daf is Yud Aleph in Masechet Betzam. We are seven lines from the wide lines on uh, Amud Aleph, Yud Aleph, Amud Aleph, where the Mishnah begins. You cannot take the pestle, which is the bottom part of the uh, tools that are used to crush grain. Normally it has like a, a stick and a uh, flat part. This is the flat part. You can't use it as a cutting board for meat. On Yom Tov, says it's okay. The issue here is that normally such a board is Muktzan Shabbat and Yom Tov because crushing grain is not something that's permitted on Shabbat or Yom Tov, so it's Klishim Lachtol something which is designated for a forbidden purpose. Beit Hillel says since you're using it for permitted purpose of cutting meat, uh, therefore it would be okay, but Beit Shammai is strict, and uh, as Tosfot explains, we must be talking about an item which is ex- very expensive that you wouldn't normally use for anything other than its designated purpose, because otherwise, generally, we say the klishim achtoli or something that has a prohibited purpose is allowed to be used uh, when there's a permitted purpose, like a hammer to cut to break open a coconut or something like that. But since this um, uh, this uh, board is a, a specialized board, you wouldn't use it normally for anything else but its designated purpose. Therefore, Beit Shammai says you cannot use it for cut, cutting meat, and Beit Hillel says it's okay because of Simchat Yom Tov. Beit Shammai Yom Rim, you can't take a hide from an animal that's been slaughtered and place it where people are going to trample on it because that contributes to the processing of the hide by helping it harden. Shouldn't even touch it. It says in our Mishnah, unless it has on it meat, a kazayit of meat, it says in our Mishnah, meaning that it has to be that there's something edible on there. Otherwise, the hide is automatically mukta after you slaughter the animal. Beitil says you can handle the hide and you can even place it in, a, in an area where people are going to trample on it, even though that helps you incidentally, but since that's not the primary uh, express purpose of placing it on the ground, as we're going to see, it's allowed. Tana says, Tana the Brighta says, Everybody agrees that if you already cut meat on that ali, on that item which is uh, for crushing wheat, if you already cut meat on there, then definitely you can't move it. In other words, even according to Beit you're only allowed to use it when you have a need, but if the need's already been fulfilled, you definitely can't use it. Amar Abayabai says, Machloket Baliyaval Bitavagarmei Divrayakol Mutar. That this Machloket is only with respect to the board on which wheat is usually crushed or grain is usually crushed, but on a Tavagarmei, which literally means a bone breaker, something which is. Uh, used for breaking for cutting up meat, so then for sure you can move it. So pshita, that should be obvious. Alitna, we only learned that you're not allowed to use the item which is for crushing wheat. Why would you think that extends to something that's used for cutting meat? Because uh, you might have thought that Beit Shammai would also prohibit you you from utilizing this very heavy duty meat cutter, uh, meat cutting board. Uh, and the only reason why our Mishnah specifies that you're al- that you're, that Beit Shammai says you're not allowed to use the board that's used for crushing wheat is to show you how lenient Beit Hillel is that they even allowed you allow you to use that. So Kamash Malan, therefore, it's coming to tell you that Beit Shammai does not maintain that you can't use a large cutting board. And Rashi says you might have thought the reason would be because. Uh, maybe you're going to move it, you're going to go through the, all the effort of moving it, and then you won't actually end up cutting any meat, so you did it for nothing. Whatever the case may be, uh, Rashi, uh, 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 Beit Shammai doesn't actually prohibit the moving of the heavy cutting board, according to this. Um, but and the, the only argument is in the case of the board, which is used for crushing, uh, crushing wheat or crushing grain. That Abaye says this is only to tell you um, uh, that uh, uh, th- th- even 
a bone breaker, even the meat cutter is, uh, is uh, permitted to be moved. You might have thought that maybe the person will change their mind and they won't actually use it. That it's coming to tell you that there's no concern about that. So the, uh, uh, so the point is that in both versions, both versions are saying, uh, in, in version number one, um, said that you might have thought that, uh, that the Tavra Garmi would be, would be uh, prohibited according to Beit Shammai. And he's basically saying the same thing, that a new Tavra Garmi, one of these new items, might, you might thought it was, that it was prohibited because, uh, to move according to Beit Shammai because you're going to move it and then you're not going to use it. So Rashi says, Ki in other words, the reason, the difference between the first version and the second version is that the first version was talking about any cutting board for meat, and the second version specifically, Abaye is coming along and saying that you might have thought a brand new cutting board for meat, maybe you'll hesitate and you won't actually use it in the end uh, after moving such a heavy thing. But in both cases, basically, and then we're saying that Beit Shammai would not really uh, prohibit those items anyway because they're designated for cutting meat. So the question is, does that mean that Beit Shammai is not concerned about the possibility that you'll engage in some kind of an effort and then you'll have regrets and you won't complete the process so you'll have moved the heavy item for no reason? He said, we don't bring the butcher and the knife to the animal and we don't bring the animal to the butcher and the knife. In other words, meaning to say that we don't go through the process of bringing, if they're far away from each other, bringing the slaughterer and the knife to the animal or the animal to the slaughterer and the knife if they're far away, if they're not local, if they're not in, if they're not in the immediate vicinity. Why? Because maybe you're going to go through all that trouble and then in the end you won't do the slaughtering anyway and it will be for nothing. Beitzilel says we're not worried about that because of Simchat Yom Tov. We allow you to bring the animal all the way to the slaughterer or vice versa. Okay, so you see that Beit Shammai says you shouldn't do that because you might, in the end, uh, change your mind and not actually do it. And then you brought the animal to the slaughterer or the slaughterer to the animal for no reason. Beit Shammai omrim, en molichin tavlin You don't bring the spices and the, uh, the piece that crushes the spices um, to the... To the uh, part of the machine where you put the spices in. In other words, there's a part that you put the spices into and then you crush them with the, the piece that you hold in your hands, right? It's uh, called buchna. The buchna is what you crush with. That's the madoch. In other words, you don't bring it over. You don't bring one, the, the uh, part that you hold in your hand and the spices to the, um, uh, to the heavy uh, stationary base and you don't bring the base over to where the spices and the, uh, and the stick are for the crushing of the spices. Why? Because after you move one to the other, you might actually end up changing your mind and not doing it at all, and then you just went through a big effort of moving things for no reason. Now, what do you see from here? Beit Shammai is always concerned that you shouldn't invest in an effort that might, in the end, prove to be for naught because you're going to change your mind. So, so too, we should say that you can't move a heavy cutting board because maybe you're going to change your mind and not use it. So it says, This doesn't make any sense because when it comes to the, in other words, it's not comparable because when it comes to bringing the animal to the slaughterer or the slaughterer to the animal, Beit Shammai will say that you might change your mind because the man 
Because you might change your mind because you decide to bring a different animal. So you brought one animal there for nothing or you brought the slaughterer to one animal for nothing. Similarly, when it comes to crushing the spices, you might say, You might say that instead of cooking a dish that I thought was going to be with spices, I'm going to do something without spices and therefore I won't need the, uh, uh, the things that I moved, the spices and the stick or the base of the... Uh, Spice crusher. You'll say, I, I moved it for nothing. But here it's different because we're talking about somebody who has meat already and they want to know, can they cut the meat? And they want to move the cutting board to uh, a place where they can cut the meat. The, the animal's already been slaughtered and obviously the meat has to be butchered. So we're not concerned that you're going to change your mind. Therefore, you can move the cutting board to the uh, meat in order to facilitate that process. There's no regret to be had. There's no change of mind to be had because the meat has to be chopped up. Oh, you're, you're not supposed to put the skin in front of where people trample it. However, they said that you, what you could do is you could salt meat over the skin, even though when you're salting the meat... For roasting, the salt will fall onto the hide and it will contribute to the hardening of the hide, making it more fit, making it more processed. We're not worried about that. Okay, so the Gemara says, Amar Abai, Abai said, Lo well, that's only if you put a small amount of salt. But if you're putting a lot, lo. But if you're putting so much that it's like what you do to salt a dish that goes into a pot, then no. It's obvious because it says you're, you're allowed to only salt up to the level of tzli, only up to the level that you roast. And since when you roast, a lot of the blood runs off and all that. So you don't have people to insult it as much. Right? So that's the amount of salt you're allowed to do over the hide, but not more. What it means is that there's really three levels. There's something called tzli, which is a low level, very little salt. Then there's kedera, something that's being cooked in a pot where there's a lot of salt. And then there's something in the middle called tzli that's like kedera. And in that case... Uh, what he meant was, even if you're salting the tzli a lot, um, and uh, you, you're salting it more than a normal tzli, almost almost like the amount that you do for a pot. Don't say, well, yeah, but since it's for roasting, therefore I'm not salting as much as I would for a pot, just almost as much. That also wouldn't be allowed over the skin because the salt that's falling on there is going to uh, contribute to the processing of the skin. And again, that's, that is the, uh, right, so that's the, that's with regard to salting over the skin. What about the fats of the animal that were removed from the animal after the slaughter? On Yom Tov, what should you do? You have the fats and uh, what are you going to do with them? So you might want to use them for various purposes after the Yom Tov, but you're not allowed to salt them and you're not allowed to handle them. According to Rabbi Yoshua, you could put a little, uh, little uh, sort of, um, stand, you could create like a little stand on which to put the fats. Uh, like little, um, little uh, uh, sort of steps or little sort of uh, uh, pieces that you put on the ground to elevate it above the ground. So therefore it will not be... Um, it will, it will not rot because it'll be airing out and that'll be okay. I'm Rav Matana Halachak Rabbi Yoshua. And Rav Matana said that you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to pl- make a little makeshift stand to place the fats on so that they will air out and they won't get spoiled. 
There's another version that says, no, the halacha does not follow Rabbi Yoshua. Now we understand the first version, where Rav Matana said that the halacha follows Rabbi Yoshua. Because why does he have to tell you that? Because since Rabbi Yoshua is an individual and he's going against the majority, you might think the halacha wouldn't follow Rabbi Yoshua. So he has to tell you it does follow Rabbi Yoshua. But the second version, right? The, the thing is, but according to the one that says the halacha doesn't follow Rabbi Yoshua, obviously the halacha doesn't follow Rabbi Yoshua. He's only an individual against the majority. So you might have thought since he has a good logic, because he'll tell you, look, if you don't, if you tell people that there's nothing they can do with these fats, you just have to leave them; they're going to be spoiled. You can't even put them on any kind of a makeshift stand or uh, or anything. Put down little blocks or whatever and put it on them. You can't even do that. So then, what's going to happen? People are not going to slaughter animals because they don't want to use lose all the fats that are going to be ruined by being left out. So he comes to tell us that the halacha still doesn't follow Rabbi Yoshua. We don't allow people to, uh, to, to handle the fats at all. Why is that different than putting skin in front of where people are going to trample it and make it more fit for use? There it's not obvious. Because you could just put the skin down on the ground and you could say, yeah, people are allowed to sit on that. They could use it as a, a picnic uh, blanket. But but here when it comes to the fats it's more complicated because when you put the hide down and people trample on it fine you could say just put it down people trampled on it they could have sat on it or whatever but when it comes to the fats if you allow them to elevate them by putting them on a stand so what's going to happen is people are going to say that's in order that they not rot so why can't I also salt them and salting them comes under the of uh, tanning the hide and you're not allowed to do that Right, so that's what. So Amar of Yudam Rashmoel Moleach Adam Kama Chatichot Basar Batachat. A person is allowed to salt many pieces of, of meat at one time. Even though he's only going to be using one of them on Yom Tov, he's allowed to salt a lot of them. Ravada Barav Amarim Omalach Gamagama. Ravada Barav would do a trick, and he would salt. Uh, one piece at a time. In other words, the first version is telling you that you're allowed to, if they're all together on a platter, there's only one activity, so you can salt all of them. Uh, but on the other, but what? Um, what the Ba'ava would do was, he would salt a little bit and then say, you know what, I changed my mind, I don't want this one. He would salt another one and say, oh, I changed my mind, I don't want this one. And therefore he would be able to salt all of his meat on Yom Tov, even though he was only planning really on using one of those pieces of meat after all. The Mishnah says, they cannot remove the shutters from the windows of the kiosks that they used to take them, take these shutters off and make them into trays in front of the kiosks for selling stuff and then put them back and close up the shop. So it says, Beit Shammai says you cannot remove those shutters and Beit Hillel says you can even put them back. So my Teresa, what kind of things are these? We're talking about the shutters of the stores. There are three things that the rabbis permitted the end because of the beginning, meaning they, meaning they allowed you to do something later so that you wouldn't refrain from doing something altogether. That's very important. Explain all of these, that the three things are, uh, they allowed us to put skin, put the hide of the animal that was slaughtered on Yom Tov in front of the place where people are going to walk on it. Also, they allowed removal of the shutters of these kiosks, and they also allowed uh, re- re- putting a band-aid back on in the Beit HaMikdash, meaning if somebody had a bandage, a wound, a wound that was dressed, he's allowed to put the dressing back on in the Beit HaMikdash if he took it off. We'll see what all this is. 
Rachva said that Rabbi Yehuda said, and as Rashi and Tosfot both, both explain, he's not talking about Ra, Ra, Rabbi Yehuda the Tana. He's talking about Rav Yehuda, who is his teacher, but he calls him Rabbi Yehuda because it was his personal teacher. If a person opens a barrel of wine or begins producing bread at the holiday time, they's allowed to finish it. In other words, what that means is, well, actually, the Gemara will explain it. I'm not even going to explain it because we're going to explain it twice that way. We already learned that you're allowed to put the hide from the animal that was slaughtered in front of the place where people walk on it. So why do you have to mention that it was permitted? The end was permitted because of the beginning. The chidush is like this, that you might have thought, the reason, thing, the reason that Beit Hillel allows you to put these hides in a place where people are going to trample on them is because since it's something they could also sit on, they could use it as a blanket, uh, sort of a picnic blanket, so therefore uh, it's okay also for them to just leave it there. And whatever happens, happens. And even if you slaughter, then you might have thought that even if you slaughtered the animal in Erev Yom Tov and you had the hide, you could do the same thing. Put the hide on Yom Tov in a place where people will trample on it. That's why it's saying no. The only reason they allowed you to put the hide down where people will trample is because you might otherwise refrain from slaughtering the animal on Yom Tov because you know that you can't put, do anything with the hide. So therefore they allowed you to put the hide in that area um, so as not to discourage you from slaughtering the animal to begin with. Okay, but that only applies the Yom Tov in Derev Yom Tov Lo. It only applies to animals that were actually slaughtered on Yom Tov because the whole purpose is to encourage you to slaughter your animals on Yom Tov, Yom Tov and not discourage you. We also learned this halacha about the shutters of the stores. Because you might have thought that the reason why Beit allows you to remove these shutters and put them back is just because he holds in binyan bekelim. There's no such thing as binyan, the melacha of habone on Shabbat and Yom Tov doesn't apply to kelim. It doesn't apply to vessels that are not um, uh, full structures. And so therefore you would be allowed to do it no matter what. So it says then you, but you would then you would think you should be able to do it with house shutters as well. So kamash malani that therefore the uh, the, the point is that they only allowed sofan mishum tchilatan. They only allowed you to take out the um, the uh, shutters because uh, otherwise that would discourage people. They allowed you to take it out and put it back in, actually, only because that would discourage people if they couldn't do that from making their wares available to people on Yom Tov because people used to open up their shop on Yom Tov, basically, and allow people to come and take things for free on credit and they would pay for it later. So... Um, so if you didn't have the, uh, if you didn't know that that was the reason why they allowed them to take the shutters in, out and put them back in, then you wouldn't realize that the only reason why they allowed that, to, in other words, you wouldn't have recognized that the only reason why they allowed the removal and replacement of the shutters was because it facilitates Simchat Yom Tov, because otherwise they won't be available, that those foods won't be available if the person knows that they can't, uh, put the uh, shutters back in, let's say, so then they won't um, open their store altogether, and people will not be able to have access to the things that they um, to the things that they need. So, therefore, in order not to discourage the shop owner, we allow him to remove and to replace the shutters. But in the house, it wouldn't be allowed. Okay, we also learned this halacha already of putting a bandage, putting a uh, dressing back on a wound in the Beit HaMikdash, because it says you can return the dressing of the wound 
put it back on in the Beit HaMikdash, but not outside the Beit HaMikdash. You might have thought the only reason why you're allowed to put the uh, bandage back on is because there's no Shavuot B'Mikdash. There's no rabbinic laws of Shabbat don't apply in the Beit HaMikdash. And you might have thought that even a Kohen who is not going to be serving right now is allowed to take off his dressing of his wound and put it back on because he's in the Beit HaMikdash and there's no rabbinic rules of Shabbat in the Beit HaMikdash. That's why the, the uh, that tells us, or why Ula really tells us that, um, why Ula tells us that uh, these things were, the end was permitted only because of the beginning. Meaning the, the, um, the reason why that we allow the, per, the Kohen to take off and put back on the dressing of his wound is because he needs to do Avodah. Right? And if he isn't allowed to do it, or let's say he, would be allowed, he wouldn't be allowed to replace, to put it back on after he took it off, then he wouldn't do the Avodah. If he needs to take it off to do the Avodah, he wouldn't be able to do the Avodah. With, that, with the bandage on, so then we have to allow him to place the bandage back on his arm because if he takes it off in order to do the avodah, we can't leave him stuck like that, right? Now we say now uh, so only somebody who's actually going to be doing avodah is allowed to uh, is allowed to um, uh, remove and replace the wound because in order not to discourage him, prevent him from doing the avodah, but somebody who's not doing avodah would not have that permission, even though they're in the Beit HaMikdash and normally rabbinic rules don't apply, it wouldn't matter. Now, what's the next example? We said, uh, We also learn about the person who opens his barrel. Because it says, If a person during the holiday opens up a barrel of wine or starts with the dough, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Yigmur. Rabbi Yehuda says, afterwards he can finish it, but Chachamim Omerim, lo Yigmur. Chachamim say no. Now, what's the story here? This is talking about a uh, wine or, or dough that was touched by an Ama'aret. So it was touched by a regular person who is not scrupulous in the laws of Tumah Vitarah and so on. It's not a Talmud Chacham. And therefore, we, there's a Zerah that they're Tameh all the time, except during the holiday. During the holiday, we say, Kol Yisrael Chavirim, everybody's one, everybody's united, everybody's considered uh, Tahor gets the benefit of the doubt. So the point is that you can open up wine and be selling it and be dealing with it, even though Ameh Aretz are touching it, and normally they would make it Tameh, but since it's during the regal, since it's during the holiday, that rule is off, and they can touch it and it won't affect it. The question is, what happens if you didn't finish that barrel of wine, you opened the barrel of wine during the holiday, and there were, there were Ameh Aretz that were touching it, and therefore that should have made it Tameh, but since the rule is suspended during the holiday, it doesn't become Tameh. Now, after the holiday, what's the status of what's the leftover wine? Do we say now the normal rule comes back again and the wine becomes prohibited because Amar had touched it, even though at the time that he touched it, it wasn't subject to that law, but retroactively the law is reinstituted. Or like Rabbi Yudha says, since you had permission when you initially started opening that bar- barrel and, uh, and selling the wine or using the wine, you had permission to allow the, the uh, Amaretz to touch it uh, because it was during the holiday, so that permission extends even beyond and, it, and whatever's left will not become Bitame either. Okay, now the thing is, what's the reasoning? What might you have thought? You might have thought that the fact that the impurity of the Amharetz is suspended during the holiday is the same as them just being Tahor. And even if the person had not yet started using the barrel, in other words, he had not yet, uh, he did not open the, um, and Rashi explains, Al Gavaregel in other words, you might have thought that even if he didn't open it uh, in order to sell it during the holiday, but an Amaretz touched it, that that should also be 
excluded from the rule that an Amaretz is Tamei and will make the, the wine Tamei. We only have the special leniency that we grant the Amaretz the status of Tahara during the holiday when we're dealing with a person who already opened a barrel, started selling it for the sake of Yom Tov. But if he didn't do that and just an Amaretz came and touched it, then we're not going to say after the holiday that it's going to be Tahor. We're going to say it's going to be Tamei. Because that Tum'ah comes roaring back. Because the only reason why they allowed the is they allowed the end because of the beginning. Meaning, since at the since we want to make sure that the uh, the person does sell their wine and make it available to everybody coming to Israel to, coming to Yerushalayim during the holidays, so we want to suspend the rule that the Amaretz is considered to make. If we didn't do that, then people wouldn't go ahead and sell because they'd be worried about the ultimate outcome. But this way that the Permission remains. And even though an Amaretz touched it while I was selling it during the holiday, even after the holiday, it won't regain its status of Tum'ah. So that actually is a consolation. And we would now not be as afraid to open that barrel of wine during the holiday. Why did Ula not say this last case? This case of the, uh, where the person, um, of the three things. We're talking about the three things that the rabbis permitted in order not to discourage you. Right, that was what Ula said. One was allowing you to put the hide in front of where people are trampling. One is allow the uh, shutters of the stores to be taken off and put back. And one of them was putting the bandage back on the wound on, you know, in the Migdash. And Rachava brought even somebody who makes their wine available or their dough available during the holiday and then the holiday is over, but it's been touched by an Arts during the holiday. And that, why didn't Ula mention that case? So the answer is, He didn't want to get into something where there's a machloket. And what do you mean? These are also machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, these cases that Ula mentions. The answer is that um, since we have a, a, a blanket rule that we don't follow Beit Shammai, we follow Beit Hillel. So the fact that Beit Shammai uh, and Beit Hillel argue is not even considered. We we it's we we just look at Beit Hillel's opinion here, and it's considered like that yachid, it's like a, or not that yachid, It's considered like a davar muskam, something that everybody agrees on, and um, and therefore uh, Ulam mentioned those three cases because they represent Beit Hillel. But he didn't mention the case that was debatable because the question of whether if the wine bar- a barrel is open during the holiday and there's leftovers after the holiday, we have to reinstate the rule of the Amaretz having touched it. And we can no longer allow that leniency to apply. That's a machloket, whether you're allowed to allow leniency to apply or not after the Yom Tov. Now, Our mission doesn't follow the following Tana um, according to this version, Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar says, no, Beit Shammai and Beit all agree that you can take off the shutters in Yom Tov. That's not what it says in our Mishnah. They only argued about putting it back. So according to this Brayta, Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar's version, they only argue about the re- replacing of the, uh, the, the, uh, shut- the shutters. When is that true? When they have a um, when they have a tzir, which is a uh, the th- meaning that they have a hinge. If they have a hinge. If there's no actual hinge that holds it into the spot, so then everybody agrees it's permitted. In other words, it's nothing. You're just putting the shutter in. You're taking it out, but it's not really attached by anything. So if it doesn't have a hinge, then it would be allowed according to everyone. To take out and put it back in. Didn't we learn in a bright that? Didn't we learn that? No, when they don't have 
uh, a hinge is when it's a machloket. And when there is a hinge, everybody agrees it's a zor. Right? That's the opposite of what we said. We said that the machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel is when there is a tzir, a tzir, and when there's no tzir, everyone agrees it's okay to put the shutters in and out. Whereas, according to, uh, according to the second version, even if, if it has a hinge, everybody agrees it's no good. And the machloket is when there's no hinge. So, what it means like this. When there's a hinge on the side, everybody agrees it's prohibited to remove them and put them back in. If there's no hinge at all, it's permitted. The question is when it's in the middle. That one says that we make a that if you allow for the hinge that is in the middle, then we'll also end up allowing when the hinges are on the side. And one says we don't, we're not worried about that at all. Now Rashi explains <coughs> that minatzad uh, means like the normal concept of a hinge, that it's on the sides of the opening where the shutters go in and it fits into there. That everybody agrees would not be allowed according to this. Beit Shammai and Beit Zell both wouldn't agree, would agree that it's not allowed. And if there's no hinge at all and it just comes straight in, in and out, so then everybody would agree that it's always permitted for everyone. The question is when there is a something that sticks out, and the way that Rashi explains it, in blita, there is a blita, there is a protrusion, and you stick it in to a hole in the middle of the door of the closet or whatever it is. In other words, the point is that there's something that sticks out on the door, and you, you as opposed to on the frame where the hinges uh, lock in the frame, we're talking about that there's something on the door itself, or on the shutters themselves, that you push in to an opening on the top, <clears throat> and it holds it in there. So according to Beit Shammai, we have to be worried that if we allow a person to put shutters in and out that way by, by sticking the uh, protrusion in or pulling it out, so then they're also going to end up doing that when the hinges are attached by an actual, uh, when the uh, shutters are attached by an actual hinge. Beit Hillel is not concerned about that. They say that uh, a person will not confuse the um, hinges on the side with the uh, protrusion on top that gets inserted into a hole to, in order to hold the, uh, in order to hold the, um, the shutters where they're supposed to be. So in a more makeshift kind of attachment, that's where there's a machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, whether that qualifies, uh, we're concerned that that will lead to uh, a... Um, that will lead the, the, uh, to actually placing and, and uh, replacing shutters or removing and replacing shutters that actually have a hinge. And Beit Hillel says we're not worried that that's going to happen as long as you restrict your activity to cases where there is this special kind of a temporary hinge that, uh, you know, where, uh, that's where you would have the machlokov thing, but Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, Beit Hillel saying it's allowed and Beit Shammai saying it's not allowed because it might lead to cases with real hinges.